0: This podcast is brought to you by GuestLogix, the leading global provider of ancillary-focused merchandising, payment, and business intelligence technology to the airline industry. To learn how GuestLogix can elevate your ancillary revenue potential, visit www.guestlogix.com. It's no secret, Americans love underdog stories. Again and again, one way or another, we tell the story of plucky individualists, whether it be Rocky Balboa or Steve Jobs. And another story type Americans like is a close cousin to the underdog story, and that is the comeback story. Americans love stories of redemption. Bill Clinton comes to mind. Yeah, General Motors. Good one. So underdog and comeback stories are indeed common in the American narrative. But what is rare is the underdog slash comeback story. Michael Jordan made a comeback, but he was no underdog. But one small U.S. airline right now is having a comeback story and is playing the role of underdog at the same time. Yeah, that airline, Frontier. At just 55 planes, Frontier certainly has underdog status. And because it's formerly bankrupt and now making money, it's also a comeback story. I'm Jason Cottrell, vice president of Airline Weekly. Joining me is the convivial Seth Kaplan, managing partner here at Airline Weekly. Let's dig deeper into this underdog comeback story. Also, we'll look at low-cost long haul over the Atlantic. We'll look at bullishness in Europe. And lastly, how the Brazilian economy is affecting Azul. Right this way to the Airline Weekly Lounge. For joining us. As we reported in this week's issue, Frontier Airlines chalked up a staggering 21% operating margin in its April to June quarter. That put it right up there with Spirit, which is fitting because Spirit is Frontier's brother from another mother. They both have an ultra low cost model, both have unbundled pricing, both are partial to A320s, and both are growing. My first question. How much room do Spirit and Frontier have to run? Yeah, Jason, and really, truly brothers from another
1: mother in the sense that, you know, both had their turnarounds backed by the same investment firm, Indigo Partners, which now controls Frontier. Uh, you know, the answer to that question, how much room do they have to run, is is kind of the same answer to to a lot of questions in the airline industry, which is, hey, you tell me where fuel prices are going to go <laughs> for the next several years, and I'll tell you that. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like a little bit of a well, a hedge, uh, no pun intended, but that's really the case. Uh, you know, when fuel prices are low, as they are now, there's all kinds of room for airlines to make money with fares that aren't all that high, but are more than high enough to cover fuel prices where they are right now. And that's especially true of ultra low cost carriers now. What's interesting is that a few different dynamics are in place. So on one hand, cheap fuel is very good for airlines anywhere, particularly good for U.S. airlines, which also trade in strong dollars. So the you know the cheap fuel isn't offset by weak currencies or any of that. And uh, yeah, you know ultra low cost airlines are growth airlines in what is now a growth environment again. The one thing that kind of mitigates that a little bit is that. Part of what helped these airlines over the past few years was paradoxically the fact that prevailing airfares were so high. So, uh, you know, with the legacy airlines, especially, and, you know, Southwest and others charging rather high fares, airlines like Spirit could come in with fares that were quite a bit lower than those high fares, but still really not all that low and make a lot of money. Those somewhat lower fares were rather attractive. Now, all of a sudden, with very low fuel prices and airlines growing rapidly, supply increasing faster than consumer demand, now, you know, you'll see United Delta Americans sometimes putting, you know, those $40 fares out there on off-peak days again. And so for consumers, when they see those airlines offering that, all of a sudden, there's kind of just not that much room for Spirit or Frontier to come in with a much lower fare to convince people to, you know, fly an airline that they might not consider to be the most comfortable or any of that, but... If it's a lot cheaper they'll fly it, you know, right now it's just harder for those airlines to be a lot cheaper. But uh, having said that, again, cheap fuel is a great starting place for all airlines, and, and certainly these airlines are no exception. What other thing, Jason, is that you know, uh, all airlines at some point in their in their history, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, you know, in their growth history, you say, oh, you know, we have more opportunities than airplanes. Uh, we have all these markets we'd like to fly if only we. Could find enough airplanes. And a lot of those airlines at some point do run up against the wall. And all of a sudden they see that, you know what? The marginal market, the new market, the developing market is harder than the existing markets, uh, you know, because almost by definition, that's what makes it marginal. You know, if, if, if what you're going to fly tomorrow is better than what you were already flying yesterday, you know, why, why didn't you fly the new route first? And so, you know, these airlines will have to contend with some of that. You know, the, the, the perhaps the very lowest hanging fruit are already picked. Um, but, you know, th- they're making very good money, as you mentioned. And, and so, uh, you know, the smart money right now is that they, uh, they still have some some room to grow uh, and until they really start, well, for one thing, hitting more up against each other, bumping up against each other uh, as they look for growth, as as Spirit
0: and Frontier have already done in a few markets. Well, to get a sense of scale to that growth, uh, Frontier has 100 planes on order. And by 2021, Spirit expects to have 144 aircraft up up from 80. Combined, they would be 200 planes in the near, you know, pretty near future. At, At what point does Southwest get nervous or anybody else for that matter?
1: Well, yeah it's it's um you know growth of, of any sort and really uh, for Southwest and the others what concerns them both is just additional capacity you know when we look at this Jason it's interesting how certainly the biz- the business model matters right but the most important impact uh, on uh, you know on other airlines and the pricing environment and the rest of it is just how much capacity is in the marketplace? You know, it matters surprisingly little what kind of airlines are putting that capacity out there, or even how many airlines. You know, is it several smaller airlines or one bigger one? Um, but yeah, that's just those are just new seats in the marketplace, and so sure that matters to everybody else. Uh, you know, Southwest was once the airline in this position, and and you know Spirit and Frontier and Allegiant, uh, another ultra low cost carrier, another very successful ultra low cost carrier. Uh, you know, these are today's. Southwest Airlines. Uh, again though, you know it really depends a lot on fuel prices. Um, hard to overstate the case because if fuel remains very cheap, uh, then there's all kinds of room for growth. And, you know, the the unit cost benefits of growth, you know, of achieving scale and, and, you know, hiring lots of new workers at the bottom end of the wage scale so that your average wages go down and all of that. Those are very, very powerful. Uh, the problem is that when fuel was very expensive, uh, none of that really mattered because you just couldn't tolerate the falling airfares that came along with the capacity growth. But in a cheap fuel environment like the one we have uh, you know, all these airlines can continue growing. And, you know, Southwest itself, I mean, not growing at the same pace, uh, you know, as, as, as Spirit and Frontier, because of course it's growing from a much larger base, but it too uh, has has certainly accelerated its growth again, uh, you know, thanks partly to these cheaper fuel costs. And, and another thing is that a lot of this growth in particular, at Southwest, it is very efficient growth. In Southwest's case, you know, it's densifying its cabins, it's taking larger aircraft, 737-800s instead of just 700s, and so, uh, you know, th- this is the most efficient kind of growth. I mean, you know, it's kind of the other airlines are doing too. So right now, j- just a really good operating environment. Look, if, if the economy were to turn down, and 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 you know, if fuel prices were to go up at the same time, obviously that would be very bad news uh, for for everyone. Everybody.
0: Okay, looking at Frontier's comeback story, uh, is it rare for a small airline to survive bankruptcy? Don't they usually just go away?
1: Well, one thing, Jason, it, you know, it, it, just for perspective, I mean, we're, we're talking about an airline, as you said, has 55 airplanes. The fact that we call that a small airline nowadays sort of speaks to how consolidated this industry has become. I mean, in global terms, that's not a tiny airline. Uh, it, it, you know, it's just that the U S just doesn't have those tiny airlines anymore. So, you know, it's, it, it's an airline that was big enough for some important stakeholders to, uh, you know, to, to make some concessions and, and, uh, and, and try to keep it going. Uh, you know, it, it made those pain, painful bankruptcy era cuts. And then, you know, fortunately. For it, the economy turned around pretty quickly after that. So all of a sudden it had a more competitive cost structure uh, and then a better revenue environment and now has transformed itself uh, into an ultra low cost carrier. Uh, But, yeah, you're right. Uh, No question that, um, you know, being bigger doesn't ensure anything. But when we look at the airlines that did disappear around the world during the last downturn, uh, there were quite a few of them. Uh, But they didn't tend to be giant airlines, you know, if anything, the most notable ones, oh, you know, Sky Europe, which had a few dozen airplanes, sizable airline, Aloha Airlines, and some others, certainly. But the giant airlines, uh, you know, both because um, they had staying power. And because in some respects they were what you might call too big to fail, you know, that, that just the uh, other stakeholders, not only their own employees made concessions, but, you know, giant aircraft less sores and their credit card co-brand partners and the rest of it sort of pitched in to uh, keep them flying because, uh, you know, th- there, was, there was too much risk associated with letting them go away. So, so your premise is right. Um, you know, in this case, it, 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 it's an airline that uh, had some good fortune and, again, in global terms,
0: just isn't all that tidy. Let's switch gears to the transatlantic market. We've got a cover story in this week's Airline Weekly that details how low-cost long-haul carriers like Norwegian are taking on the joint ventures that dominate that market. As we mentioned in this story, low-cost long-haul is gaining momentum. This approach has been tried and has failed before. Is it going to work this time? Mm, Well, let's put it this way. If it's ever going to work, it'll work this time. And is that because of low oil prices and the strong u s economy, or has the industry simply evolved to the point where it has learned some lessons and it's ready to do this?
1: yeah, a little bit of both, but probably more of the former low oil prices you know there are there are just some things we talk about in the cover story, but just some things about this business model where you know you would think oh, cheap fuel is is good for all airlines and expensive fuel is bad for all airlines. But uh, you know, expensive fuel is particularly bad for low cost long haul. It's, it's just you know, for, for, for various economic reasons, um, clearly the case. Um, it, you know, about a decade ago, there was uh, there was an airline called Zoom, uh, which uh, based in Canada, also had a U.K. operation and was trying to fly between uh, both the U.S. and Canada and the UK. And, you know, unlike, I mean, there were some over the years that, you know, where you could just tell the airline, you know, didn't necessarily have it together. That, that airline was a, was a reasonably well-managed airline uh, and, you know, ha- had had uh, a service offering that didn't look so different from some of what's out there today. But the problem was that oil was, was you know, surging toward $147 a barrel, and, and they just didn't have a chance I mean it just didn't matter what they did um, you know so uh, so yeah cheap fuel now makes it possible uh, you know we, we do learn over time as uh, uh, the the industry learns lessons from what didn't work in the past in the past and 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 the current experiments for the most part uh, are 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 they make a little more sense than some of the ideas that just didn't make any sense at all in the past um, and so you put it all together, And yeah, it can be viable, you know, and like a lot of things uh, these days with with fuel being cheap, uh, you know, the the marginal does become, as we mentioned in the story, viable. Um, And so uh, so, yeah, it's 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 possible this time. But having said that, uh, you know, these airlines are unlikely to print money doing this. Uh, You know, it would be a real achievement if if they can uh, turn the corner and finally make some money doing something that, Virtually nobody, and I'm talking, you know, you
0: go back to Freddie Laker and People Express, virtually nobody has ever managed to make money doing. Also in that cover story, we mentioned a nugget that I thought was worth exploring further. We said cheap fuel disproportionately helps long-haul flights. Now, all flights burn fuel, and fuel is actually burned more intensely at takeoff than at cruise altitude. So if anything, you'd think short-haul you know, with more takeoff and landings would benefit the most from cheap fuel. So explain why cheap fuel helps long, long haul flights disproportionately.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. You know, when you're climbing, you're burning more fuel. And so you think, well, the short haul flight climbs more. But the short haul aircraft also just spends a lot more time on the ground. And, and so this is the greater force here. Uh, you know, I remember a few years back, um, the, the CFO of Ryanair, Howard Miller, was was asked at a, at a conference I attended, somebody was asking, oh, when are you going to start low cost long haul? And they're always being asked this. I mean, as recently as last week, they had to come forward and say, you know, look, we're not going to do this right now. Maybe we will someday. And uh, you know, he explained it this way. He said, he said, look, um, the the most important costs on long haul flying are. Fuel and aircraft. And so unless you get some kind of a discount on on, on one of those, uh, you know, you don't have an advantage as, as a low cost carrier in that market. Um, and so uh, in that case, he's explaining why Ryanair basically they're saying, look, that's not where we have advantages with fuel and aircraft because everybody, you know, although, of course, you can hedge fuel and do certain things. But it's not one kind of carrier that has an advantage in those areas. Where does Ryanair have an advantage? Basically on the ground. Right. I mean, they they get this big running start before before the plane even takes off because of all of the efficiencies on the ground, because of, you know, in the most basic sense, turning the plane around more quickly than a legacy competitor and so forth. And that's true for all airlines of every business model that when you're talking about short haul flying, think about it. You're on the ground if you are especially a very short haul carrier like, you know, EasyJet or Southwest. Sometimes the same aircraft is on the ground six or seven times a day and they get a chance to have those efficiencies add up six or seven times rather than a long haul aircraft that might only be on the ground once or twice a day. At cruise altitude, uh, you know, you're burning fuel. You're paying for the aircraft uh, as as you're always doing, whether it's flying or not, and you know those are basically your your uh, your big expenses. And so, yeah, even though you're right, you, you burn even more fuel while you're climbing than when you're at cruise. Uh, you know, in the end, the greater force is that fuel matters more for long haul flights. And so, conversely, cheap fuel is particularly beneficial for long haul flights. A few years ago, you know, it got to where. Uh, you just almost couldn't make money, particularly on ultra long haul flights. You know, recall that, uh, you know, Singapore Airlines stopped flying the longest flight in the world from Newark to Singapore. I mean, there were other reasons for that, too. But it, part of it just was that uh, the more you pushed out that stage length where, you know,
0: pretty much all the matter was fuel cost, the more it became almost impossible to make money. Seth, you mentioned Ryanair. In the cover story, we also talk about the, quote, growing chatter, unquote, that Ryanair might interline with Norwegian. So you'd have Ryanair being able to market long haul itineraries and Norwegian would get traffic feed and all this would be within a low cost universe. That sounds like a potent combination, uh, but often the devil is in the details. Do you think that could work?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe in some small way. Uh, you know, in, in this case, you're talking about an airline, Norwegian, that already has a, a reasonable amount of short haul feed in Europe. So, if anywhere, if anything, rather, uh, where it would need a, a short haul partner would be more on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, you, you know, in in the U.S., uh, and you have airlines there like uh, like. JetBlue that do that sort sort of thing with airlines everywhere. Um, So yeah, you know Ryanair, what can it provide that Norwegians own short haul network can't? Well, uh, you know, the Norwegian had had pointed out that you know Ryanair has sort of more unique routes um, that, for example, uh, where EasyJet competes more directly with Norwegian already. Presumably, that's what they that's what they were alluding to. uh, You know, Ryanair would provide something more unique. But um, but this would be, uh, you know, modest. This isn't going to change the world for either carrier uh, because, you know, most of the biggest markets, the biggest origin destination markets where, you know, you might want to feed somebody from points uh, throughout Europe uh, to long haul flights departing from Oslo, Stockholm, Copenhagen and, and London Gatwick, uh, you know, Norwegian already has flights to to most of those places. So it it might, if anything, be a way for both carriers to kind of dip their toes in in the interline pool uh,
0: before deciding whether to do more with that. Looking at Europe overall, we're seeing a lot of bullish sentiment from European carriers regarding the peak season, the third quarter, which wraps up today. Would you say the positive trends are outweighing the labor problems that have plagued Lufthansa and others? Well, so far they they, they seem to be, Uh, you know, it's
1: you're you're talking about a place where um, at least in many countries, I mean, the UK most prominently, but but not only there, uh, there's a lot more optimism economically. I mean, I'm talking even about places like Spain, you know, which 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 went through, uh, you know, obviously awful times where people uh, feel a lot better. Uh, So, uh, you know, again, it's pretty simple when you're talking about, um, you know, rising consumer demand and, and obviously these these rather low fuel costs uh, no surprise that the airlines are doing rather well um, you know even in the face of, of uh, some of these labor issues and even those um, you know th- th- it seems like uh, they the, the relations are perhaps off their lows like in a, in a, in a number of cases you at least have people uh, coming together you know with tons of Possibly closer uh, to something with with its pilots, Uh, you know, Air France, perhaps also. Um, So uh, although, you know, you always have to be cautious when you're talking about um, issues like that. Uh, Yeah, uh, there's some reason for optimism that uh, things had bottomed out some time ago and and are perhaps getting better. And of course, you have European carriers that are doing uh, they're doing perfectly fine. Some of the LCCs in particular
0: are are doing uh, are among the more profitable airlines in the world. Also, the bullishness extended to winter bookings well beyond the peak quarter. What do you make of that? Yeah, that's one of those things, almost like a few minutes ago you asked me, you know, why does cheap fuel disproportionately
1: help long-haul flights? Well, it also disproportionately helps off-peak periods. Uh, You know, another one of those things where if you think of sort of one of the big trends over the past decade – has been this uh, this more seasonal scheduling I, I mean when you look at some of the very successful airlines you know delta would be one uh, that that's you know Of course, turned around its fortunes, become uh, one of the most profitable airlines in the world. Well, you know, one of the things that it did with its network was schedule it much more, uh, you know, in a much more precise seasonal way. You know, same thing with day of week, uh, sort of, you know, matching supply with demand, uh, and saying, look, you know, we're just not going to fly as much on on days where there's less demand or during seasons where there's less demand. Um, because, you know, with fuel being what was very expensive, uh, you know, just just can't make money doing it. Well, uh, you know, that had kind of changed the whole economic model of the airline industry, because, you know, if you think about it, you know, how how did Southwest years ago become the most successful airline in the history of the world? Well, by utilizing its assets very intensively by flying the airplane all the time. And, you know, demand was weak. OK, fares were a little lower. But, you know, if your costs were very low, you could still profit. And when you're flying as much as possible, you are keeping your non-fuel unit costs down. Because, again, like I mentioned a minute ago in a different context, you're, you know, hiring more employees and, uh, you know, and just just getting economies of scale in every way. Well, guess what? Here we are back to cheap fuel, back to an environment where you can make money, uh, even if fares aren't all that high, and where all of a sudden those benefits of growing, the unit cost growth, the non-fuel costs that are declining start to weigh more because the fuel costs just don't matter as much now as they did in the past. So. We see a couple things. We see, first of all, airlines uh, in small ways. I don't mean to overstate the case here, but in small ways, uh, perhaps not scheduling as seasonally as as they had been doing uh, over the past few years, saying, you know what? Uh, Yeah, we can can make money now uh, during the off peak periods. Um, And so no surprise to see uh, the optimism even that that, uh, you know, in terms of 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 the profit and loss statement that they can perhaps make some money. Um, or, uh, you know, at least not lose in some cases nearly as
0: much as, uh, as they typically have done in the winter. Okay, bullish in Europe. One area where things are not so bullish is in Brazil, and with good reason. Brazil is facing a full-blown economic crisis. One report this week showed a million jobs have been lost in the past 12 months. Inflation is at 9.5%, traffic it's down 10% at Rio's main airport, My question is, what does this crisis mean for Azul's international aspirations? Yeah, uh, you know, their timing couldn't have been worse. Uh, You know, this is also
1: low-cost long haul. We talked a minute ago about, um, you know, across the Atlantic, how – Uh, You know how this is perhaps as good a time as any. Azul, you know, it, it does yeah, benefit from cheaper fuel, at least in U.S. dollar terms. But that's kind of a big asterisk, because when your home currency is the Brazilian real, which has plummeted in value, then all of a sudden fuel in your own currency's terms just doesn't look all that cheap. Uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with a home market with all those things that you just mentioned, just just, uh, you know, obviously impacting demand for air travel. It's a market to begin with where you still have visa issues, you know, uh, you know, whereas you can, for example, and this is important, you can stimulate traffic among, let's say, Americans to go to Europe. You know, Norwegian could say, hey, want to come see Oslo for a couple hundred dollars and people can hop on a plane, uh, you know, that weekend if they want to, uh, you know, whereas to Brazil... They simply can't do it because uh, you know, they need to go get a visa. Um, and so for, for all kinds of reasons, it's a little bit more difficult to begin with. And, uh, you know, so, so you layer that on top of just all of the usual difficulties associated with low cost long haul with competing against you know powerful incumbents in LATAM and, you know, American and, and uh, the other U.S. carriers. Uh and um it's it's hard to be too optimistic right now about their prospects. You know, we'll see if they can you know just kind of hang in there uh, long enough to hopefully um be able to uh turn the corner here, you know, if the economy starts
0: picking up a bit. Seth, thanks very much. One final note, if you found these podcasts to be of interest, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and colleagues. Airline Weekly is an independent media company, and thus we truly value word-of-mouth advertising. So don't hesitate to forward our link. After all, there's always room for one more in the Airline Weekly Lounge. You got a favorite underdog? Well,
1: I'm a Miami Dolphins fan.
0: Ha ha ha! I was always par- partial to uh, Bobby Fischer. <laughs>